So happy Thanksgiving, everybody. My name is Nelson, lead pastor. And our subject today is gratitude. And when you think of gratitude, I wonder what you think about. I think a lot of us think, well, I'm going to be grateful when the circumstances warrant it. I'm going to be grateful when life turns up for me and when something happens that should evoke gratitude. Now, if you see me with my head held a little higher today and like looking a little more proudly uh, than normal, yesterday um, I was out in the yard and I was blowing the leaves. And you know how that goes. You blow the leaves into the street. And we have a lot of acorns. This is an acorn year. Any of you who blow leaves know what I mean by that. Not every year is an acorn year, but this year is an acorn year, at least for our trees. So I was blowing the acorns, and they were just piling up in the street. And so I went in the house to get a drink of water, and I said to my wife, Lisa, I said, sweetie, you should see all those acorns piling up. So I get back to my work, and Lisa comes out to walk our dog, Sammy. And I'm blowing, 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 and I look over, and she's over there pointing at the piles of acorns, and she goes, She was looking at me and she was saying, sweetie, look at those piles of acorns. You're like the best leaf and acorn blower in the whole, whole world. So here's the thing. That's a silly little example, but that was my reason yesterday for being grateful for, you know, with, walking with my head held a little higher because circumstances had gone my way. And you've got your own story of when your circumstances go your way. And there's every reason to be grateful. But we also know that sometimes circumstances can be an unreliable gauge for gratefulness. Have you ever given anybody a gift and you thought it was a good gift and a gift for which they should feel grateful and yet you got a very flat response? Have you ever had that experience? Circumstances are a very unreliable guide. Sometimes something that evokes gratitude for one person will entirely not evoke gratitude for somebody else. So here's the thing that we're looking at today. We're looking at this idea. I like the phrase of deep gratitude. Sometimes we use that phraseology. We say uh, heartfelt thanks or deep gratitude. So here's what we're going to learn today. Uh, we're going to look at a Bible passage, and we're going to look at how this writer spoke about gratitude, and in particular this, how he trained Christians to be grateful, not in their circumstances, but beyond their circumstances, or despite their circumstances. So what we want to do is read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. So turn with me now. And let me pray. We come as we do uh, every Sunday as beggars looking for bread. And so we come, Lord Christ, not in our own strength, but seeking your own. When we are weak, we pray you would be strong and we pray you would show us the way. Open our eyes that we might see 
uh, what you have to say to us and that we might respond with obedience and love. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. Hear the word of the Lord. The Apostle Paul writes, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay. The context for this Bible passage is found in Acts chapter 17. If you were to read that, you would find that Paul had traveled to Thessalonica. And for three Sundays in a row, it says in Acts 17, he preached about hope in Christ to the Thessalonians. And now Paul is giving this young church instructions in Christian Christian living. And I think of it almost like, um, you know, you think of an operating system in a computer. It's constantly running in the background. I think of Paul as giving like these three signs of the operating system that is constantly running in the background of a Christian's life. So first, Paul writes, rejoice. And the key there is always. Or as another translation puts it, be joyful always. Well, what's the difference between happiness and joy? We've spoken about this. Happiness is what we is our response when circumstances go our way. Joy is our experience of the Lord regardless of our circumstances. So Paul tells the Thessalonians, you can rejoice how often? Well, always, he says. Well, how could that be? Well, he goes on. Second, Paul writes, pray, how often? Continually. So the second part of a Christian operating system is the Thessalonians have this new relationship with God and this conversation that is going on with him continually. And third, and this is the part we're particularly interested in, give thanks in all circumstances. And so if you're like me, you might say, well, that sounds really challenging, Paul. You know, I'll give thanks when my circumstances warrant it. I'll give thanks when I have reason to give thanks. I think a lot of times when we become a Christian, uh, we make an implied deal with God. And it's as if we say to God, hey, God, I'm going to cut a contract with you. I'm going to follow Jesus. And in return, you're going to give me a better life. And the problem is it doesn't always work out that way. And I'll never forget when my first wife, Lacey, was battling cancer. And there was a surgeon from our church, and we spoke to him about an upcoming surgery for Lacey. And he made the comment that from his vantage point of decades of operating on people with life-threatening medical diagnoses, that not only did Christians not seem to avoid difficult circumstances, But often, they seem to have more difficult medical outcomes than anybody else. So let's read Acts chapter 16, verses 22 to 24. This episode occurred less than a year before Paul wrote his letter to the Thessalonians. It says, The crowds joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. And we kind of go to ourselves, aye, 
You know, why is it that this beloved apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, why did he encounter so many circumstances that we wouldn't have wanted? So notice that Paul doesn't say, give thanks for all circumstances. That little word is important. What does he say? He says, give thanks in all circumstances. So Paul is not telling the, the, the Thessalonians to be stoic, to have a stiff, stiff upper lip. He's also not telling them to like everything that they might encounter. And he's also not telling them that they ought to settle for things in life or, that are less than they ought to be. God has put these dignified longings in our souls. And so Paul doesn't just say give thanks for all circumstances. He says give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. And when I started to sort of look around in the Bible, it was striking to me how the saints of old, they had sort of given up this foolishness of giving thanks for their circumstances. They seem to have all gotten past that. Take King David. How did the circumstances of David's life go? Well, first, his beloved son Absalom turned on him and eventually was killed by David's men. And when you read the Psalms, David was constantly hunted and he was mistreated by those he thought were his friends. And so why is it that David is one of the ones that we find most filled in his soul, in his heart, in his mouth with thanksgiving and praise. Well, here it is. Like in Psalm 54, David says, surely he's talking about his enemies and he's talking about the people who are mistreating him. And then he lands on this. Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. I will sacrifice a free will offering, a thank offering to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. So David seemed to merge this idea of praise and thanksgiving. We think praise is thanking God for who he is, and thanksgiving is for what he does. But David seemed to merge those. And he also seemed to have very closely in his mind and heart and practice that thanksgiving was very close to trust. And so what about Habakkuk? In Habakkuk 3, the prophet ends his book this way. He says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and though there are no grapes on the vine... Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there is no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, here it is, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. So what do these people know that we don't know? Well, the Apostle Paul also, in another place in his writings, in his letter to the Philippians, Paul writes this, I've learned to be content when... Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. And then here's the key thing. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So here's what these great saints of the Bible seem to understand. There was another place to ground their thanksgivings. There was another basis for gratitude. It wasn't in their circumstances, but beyond their circumstances. They seem to understand that circumstances are fleeting, unreliable, and often disappointing. And they understood that with all that happened to them, even the stripping away of something they desperately wanted, it was all designed to train them to give thanks in the Lord 
instead, a more reliable and lasting basis for their gratitude. So what does this mean? What does it mean to be thankful in the Lord? What does it mean to find our strength in him? And we've got a vague notion of that, but what does it mean in real time? Well, simply put, uh, it's the gifts of God in Jesus Christ. And we know in Acts 17 that when Paul went to the Thessalonians, he preached what he always preached. He preached the dying, rising Christ. He told them that Christ died in their place. And he told them that Christ rose as the assurance of new and everlasting life. So here's something that Paul always spoke about in the gospel. There's the bad news and the good news. And the bad news is that no one is righteous, no, not one. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. And then the good news is that Christ died for sinners and he died for you and me. So here's what we're learning about gratitude. The gospel teaches us that gratitude grows in humility. I want you to get that. The gratitude grows in humility. David Brooks is a New York Times columnist that some of you know. And in his article, The Structure of Gratitude, he notes what he's learning about thankfulness. He says, I'm sometimes grumpier when I stay at a nice hotel. I have certain expectations about the service that's going to be provided. I get impatient if I have to crawl around looking for a power outlet, if the shower controls are unfathomable, if the place considers itself too fancy to put a coffee machine in each room. I'm sometimes happier at a budget motel where my expectations are lower and where a functioning iron is a bonus and the waffle maker in the breakfast area is a treat. Do you hear what Brooks is saying? He's saying that gratitude grows in humility. It, gra it, it, it grows when our expectations are not higher, but when our expectations are lower. Similarly, we're also learning from the gospel that gratitude requires a benefactor. Now, we know this intuitively because sometimes when we talk about gratitude, again, we use this phrase, deep gratitude. And when we say it, what we're saying is we're truly grateful we're overwhelmed. We would say to our benefactor, I could never repay you. Well, do you see what the Apostle Paul is doing? So on the one hand, we know that gratitude grows in humility. And the Apostle Paul was the, the, the quickest one to say that our righteousness is as filthy rags. And when it came to his own personal testimony, Paul wrote, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And so Paul has a reality-based sort of understanding of the bad news of the gospel. But then gratitude requires a benefactor. When Paul talked about Jesus, he spoke in extravagant terms. He said, I pray that you together with all the saints would know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God for you in Christ Jesus. Don't you see, Paul is saying, he's saying to God in Jesus Christ, I'm overwhelmed, I'll never repay you. Do you see how gratitude grows and how Paul is locating his gratitude, not in the ebb and flow of his circumstances, but in the sure and steady foundation of the gift of God in Jesus Christ. So sometimes you'll hear people say, well, God accepts you just as you are. 
And we would say in this church, no, uh, God doesn't accept you just as you are. In fact, just as we are uh, does violence to a holy God. To say that God accepts us just as we are is to dismiss, dismiss the crown jewel of our faith, which is the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So what we say is there is bad news, and the bad news is that we are worse off than we think. But at the same time, we say the good news is that we are more loved than we can ever imagine. And so we say, Lord Christ, we are overwhelmed. What's the basis of our gratitude? Lord Christ, we are overwhelmed. We could never repay you. So Brenning Manning helps us get at this when he writes this about gratitude for a Christian. He said, I believe that the real difference in the American church is not between conservatives and liberals, fundamentalists and charismatics, nor between Republicans and Democrats. The real difference is between the aware and the unaware. Did you get that? Between the aware and the unaware. When somebody is aware of that love, the same love that the Father has for Jesus, that person is just spontaneously grateful. Do you see where he's going? Henry Nowen writes, you have to celebrate your chosenness constantly. This means saying thank you to God for having chosen you and thank you to all who remind you of your chosenness. Gratitude is the most fruitful way of deepening your consciousness that you are not an accident, but a divine choice. Will you let that sink in? So does God accept us just as we are? No. In Christ, we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Thanks be to God for the gift of his son. So what Paul seemed to be doing with the Thessalonians was not trying to get them to be grateful for their circumstances, but beyond their circumstances. So the theme of the first and second letter to the Thessalonians is the return of Christ. And you'll see a lot of the dialogue around the re promised return of Jesus. So here's a portion of what Paul wrote. He said, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And then he says this. What's the point of all that? Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So what is Paul doing here? He's trying to locate their basis for gratitude. He's trying to train them in gratitude, the Thessalonian, the young Thessalonian church. And I think what Paul is saying is he's, he's mobilizing their agency. We'll be grateful when our circumstances warrant it, right? No. Paul is saying we choose gratitude. We cultivate gratitude in the life, death, resurrection, and promise return of Christ. So I think what, it is, I think what he's trying to do is reestablish identity. We're all wrestling with identity. And Paul is trying to say, who, is Jesus, who are we in Jesus Christ? We are those who are justified by faith and adopted into his family with the full rights of sons and sanctified by his spirit. And one day we will be glorified in his presence when he returns to make all things new. 
Are you feeling, church, are you feeling something when you begin to when you begin to hear again who it is that you are in Christ Jesus. I think sometimes we, we approach gratitude like falling into a pool. We think when it's time to be grateful, something will happen to us and we'll just fall into, great, into gratitude because it'll be the natural response of what's happened in our circumstances. But Paul is saying, no, gratitude is a choice. We cultivate it. We don't fall into gratitude like we fall into a pool. We choose gratitude in the unchanging gift of God in Jesus Christ. I think a big part of what Paul is doing when we put together all of what he writes about the return of Christ is he's trying to teach these Christians to look up to have an uplifted face. Now, now stay with me here. See, we all tend to look down at our small stories. So here we are back at Epic, the Epic story. We all tend to look down into our small stories and evaluate our lives that way and evaluate whether or not we're going to be grateful that way. But Paul is saying, I want you to look up. I want you to look up into the return of the promised return of Christ. I want you to look up, maybe literally, into the clouds. I think there's something in this. Sometimes we need to really literally look up uh, into uh, the stars at night and the moon and look up at the beauty of the trees and look up at the clouds and look up and put our eyes in the path of oncoming beauty. See, we get so beaten down when we look down and we choose what we see. But when we look up, we see the God who created us and redeemed us and is coming back again. So listen, I know we all have various plans for Thanksgiving. And here's the way that that calculus works out, I think. Some of us have plans with other people, some of us don't. Some of you without plans wish you had plans. Some of you who have plans wish you had other plans or no plans. I was talking to an unchurched friend at my third place, the John Rolf Y this week, and she's a mother of young children. And incidentally, I was led to ask one person there to our Sunday gatherings, and she seemed interested. I, would let, I was led to ask this woman to our Christmas tree giveaway. And then I asked her about her plans for Thanksgiving. And this is what she told me. She said, um, I'm going to be with family. We're flying to Phoenix to be with my husband's family. And then her face sort of dropped. And she told me how hard that was going to be on her family to have to travel you know, young children, putting them on a plane, and how much she wished she had no plans and could just stay here in Richmond. And I get that. So here's, let me tell you what you already know. Whether you have plans or whatever your plans are for Thanksgiving, there is potential for it to be disappointing. (laughs) Can I just say that? Because People are people, and we're all people, and we have a lot of longing bound up in home and family, and most of that is an archetype of heaven, and so something is going to happen that won't be as we had wished it, 
And so something is going to come crashing down. And so here is the invitation as we go into Thanksgiving and any time of the year. It's not to be grateful for or simply in our circumstances, but it's to be grateful beyond our circumstances in the life, death, resurrection, and promised return of Jesus Christ. Literally, we learn to look up, anticipating his return. We choose to be grateful. Gratitude in the Lord becomes the anchor for our soul. Not just at Thanksgiving, but anytime, right here, right now. Thanks be to God for his gift in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, train us to be your people, and we pray that the penny would drop. We get so caught up in self-contempt and the contempt that others have, and we get so weighed down by our sin and the sin of others. We pray you would free us from all that and that you would lift our sights and that we would help, you would help us see you and your redemption and your love and mercy and grace and that we would be grateful unto the name of the Lord Christ, we pray. Amen.